0: Life is complex. So is our mental health. It cannot be understood by diagnosis alone. Our philosophy is treat the person, not the mental illness. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Humanizing Mental Health. I am the suntanned Trenton Acres.
1: And I am the lily white Jeremy Alcorn.
0: <laughs> yeah, so um, if you haven't <laughs> noticed, um, we are recording this in uh, the dog days of August. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Sorry. <laughs> no, that's that's a really authentic response. <laughs>
2: uh, grind. Grind. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, okay.
0: <laughs> and uh, back again with us today is the wonderful Jolene Bursard.
2: Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah. How do you beat Lily White? <laughs> um, well, <yeah>. Snow woman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe i
1: don't know i'm in the same boat well i think that that you and i have that problem of we walk into the sun we turn into a lobster and then we peel and then we walk into the sun and turn into a lobster again and Mm -hmm. then we peel yes yeah what yeah
2: i always say i'm in the sun i'm red on the outside and white on the inside (laughs) like a lobster yeah
0: yeah a rock lobster (laughs) yep Mm. Sorry, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, Ladies and gentlemen, this is not comedy hour, we're just uh, starting things off. Um, And for those of you um, uh, that may not know, Jolene is a returning guest and we had talked about a lot of things related to uh, disabilities, children, and parents. Um, And today, we're going to be continuing that conversation and we're going to be bringing up something very particular. Um, Do you want to lead us in here, Jolene? Sure, I um,
2: thank you for having me back, first of all, because this is just my area of passion and, and you guys have given me a platform to talk about it and talk about it with individuals who have working knowledge and lived experience as well as myself, so thank you. So today um, we're gonna kind of talk about those, uh, you had mentioned, Trent, during our last sit down together that y- shortly after birth you were wheeled into like the operating room Mm -hmm. and you know (coughs) I think with some of the parents that I work with um, even for myself like you know kiddos just ending up in the NICU and you're not expecting it those kind of things but what about those big medical interventions that that infants who come into the world need right away and what's the impact of that on the attachment bond between parents and child and how's it affected? and how do we how do we help through that?
0: Yeah, and you know, I think it's really important that you bring that up and to just kind of set the scene, I'll tell you a story that my uh, my mother told me several times, like, I, like as you mentioned, Jillian, like when I was first born, I needed surgery because I was born uh, twenty eight weeks <clears throat> premature. Excuse me, I need to cough the sun out. Um, And she talked about the fact that when I was born, um, like basically I was in the NICU and I was in an incubator. And she talked about um, going into that room basically where there's, uh, for those of you that have never seen an incubator before, it's basically a large plastic clear plexiglass box that the infant would be in. And there's a bassinet inside of there. And there's areas For people to utilize gloves in order to touch and to be able to interact with the infant. But like on a very like there's still a barrier there. And my mother talked about way back in 1987 when um, she would do that. Like there was basically a room full of incubators and that you would walk in there and they would be lined up. There would be areas for the parents but that you weren't you, like she said you would go in there you wouldn't make eye contact with the other parents you would go to your child you would sit there you would be with your partner and you would do the best you could to connect with your infant and um, like as yeah, as you think about that like the level of stress and the need for for the attachment there because they're they're wanting to attach but there's this necessary medical barrier because these children are, are struggling. They may not even be fully, um, well, like fully to term. So they're not even safe to be out in the world. But um, there there's that need, that drive, that bond to attach with the parents. So it's, it's really that juxtaposition between the two. Like how do we... Um, appreciate the need for medical intervention but also allow uh, human beings natural process to take place
2: mm-hmm and I think as well when I think about those situations and that natural process it's about the stressors that are taking mm-hmm. hold of the parents in that time also also the child the infant that mm-hmm. those stressors they're undergoing their bodies are undergoing um, but the lack of community mm-hmm. that you have. I think of stories that I've heard um, from parents about how it's so lonely and isolating. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you're not mm-hmm. even able to be in your own community to receive the care that your child needs.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like if you, if you even think about it, for Medistan, even though we're a larger community, <clears throat> a lot of these children get... Um, want well, medevac to edmonton or calgary so i mean because that's where the resources are but it's not like you can have all of those people around you to support you to really help bring this child into the world it's like then the child has to be brought back to the world itself
1: yeah as I as i listen um a couple of things jump out one of them is recognizing that without these interventions uh, these children would die and uh the the miracle that is there that gives the opportunity for life. And at the same time, the experience gets so medicalized, all of the emotional processes are not really necessarily honored within that medicalized system. And being able to, to know how is it that we, we bring that back, like, like you were saying, Joanne about the parent. Well, the typical natural process would be Uh, parents that have gone through natural stressors, but a mom who has been flooded with endorphins in the process of birth and actually oxytocin, which are these bonding agents, and the the baby's nervous system responding to the mother's nervous system and knowing that they're okay and that they're at peace. And in these situations, when a baby is in such a, a difficult medical position, then those natural processes don't happen Uh, we have a stressed mother stressed father and then a baby even that distance of the incubator even when you're touching uh, them you're still you still are bringing distress into the the situation
0: oh absolutely yeah which is is natural but Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah but and also you have to think about the environment too of the hospital the sound of the machines the like the stressed out nurses that are also trying to be there you know returning them every hour the lights, I mean, like, we, we've talked about the lights here in Synergy, but could you imagine, like, where, I mean, my mother even talked about um, that when she eventually brought me home after so many weeks because I was so attuned to the hospital cycle that she almost had to run or, like, feed me and do different things on the hospital cycle because that's what I was socialized for. That's what my body knew. And then it was about how do we then bring it back to something more natural? So it's not just about, you know, parent operating on less than three hours sleep, but then it's also really deprogramming the child from living in the hospital.
2: And I would also venture to say too, um, I've never brought home a baby and, 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 had to have the experience of fear of losing them at that age right away. I, but also that fear, am I going to be able to do what this child needs me mm-hmm, need to do mm-hmm. too, right? Your own stressors and questioning your own abilities. We question our abilities as a parent. I think it's natural from the get-go. But when you have more complications added to that, it just takes that stress. Threshold even higher.
0: Oh yeah, and you know, and as you bring that up, um, I feel like I'm sharing a lot of stories today. But um, this is my, good. No, no, no. My 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 mother um, talked about the fact that my parents wanted to take me camping because that's one thing that we would do we, uh, as a family. We did a lot of off grid camping. But the thing is, is that at the time I was on like an oxygen tank, and my father was trying to figure out a way to strap like an almost pure oxygen tank to the back of the camper. <gasps> and like, for those of you that don't, yeah, yeah you guys are laughing, but you know, yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> so um, Dr. Folson, Dr. Charlotte Folson, who um, I believe she just retired, um, like, yeah, like when she found out about that, she's like, okay, if you guys need a break, I will put him in the hospital, like for like the weekend or the week. You guys go camping, get yourself collected, and then you know you can reconnect because you have to try and mitigate risk because we don't want it to be that kind of an explosive trip. <laughs> <laughs>
1: There's a trip people won't forget, <gasps> right? <laughs> like what happened to your trailer? It's a pile of rubble.
0: Yeah. 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 Tried or to breathe. Yeah. 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 Talk about open air camping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For sure. Yeah. Uh, but
2: that brings up another point, too, mm-hmm. is about the, um, when I say community, right? You don't have that community. Mm-hmm. Who's there to provide respite or relief or support mm-hmm. when s- you, a lot of the times you're not in your community, you're the only ones, like, I, I, I've never had to have an infant in, um, a NICU or born early, but, you know, who's there to help those parents and give them time off? And the, I can only imagine, like, it's hard for me to pull myself away when Genevieve went in for her surgery. So can you imagine a newborn and and trying to take time to go do self-care what's that
0: yeah exactly or you know I think of things like the Ronald McDonald House which is wonderful like you've got all of these parents and these families coming together but also these are all people that are traumatized that are struggling there's nobody really within their window of tolerance except for the staff
1: yeah, for sure, totally makes sense, and uh, and I think part of this conversation, at least one of the things that jumps out to me when you talk about parents are already in a place in which they question their ability, and we do so at every stage. I think of the next stage a mm-hmm. kid goes into because we don't know how to deal with that next stage. But um, is that the thing that really jumps out to me is this conversation maybe could be very helpful for parents because they don't understand why is my baby crying and can't be comforted. Uh, or they understand, oh, these struggles or these things that are happening with my child, it's not actually that there's something seriously wrong. It's that something maybe went a bit askew in how they were going to connect and they don't know how to feel secure. That gives you something to do. You're like, oh, Oh. okay, I can settle down. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, this is going to be okay. I need to, to understand what's happening and allow myself to be patient with the process, mm-hmm. I keep doing the things that my child needs, and um, and eventually they'll figure it out, because if I understand what's going on, maybe I can settle down my own nervous system. Mm-hmm. Maybe I can be more calm. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you know... Because it a,
1: a child's not going to be calmed from an adult that is distressed.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and the thing is, and I think what you're talking about there is really key because I was actually talking with another practitioner um, a while ago where we were talking about the loop of trauma when it comes to persons with disabilities and their parents. So the baby is... Uh, the mother is traumatized. The baby is traumatized. And then, um, you know, it's about trying to settle the baby down, but then the baby is also triggered by the mother, which then gets re traumatized and it just keeps going yeah, and going for sure. And going. It's a,
1: a feedback
0: loop mm-hmm. that
1: maintains the distress yeah,
0: mm-hmm. absolutely and that can go on throughout life throughout every single stage because I mean there again too as we know about trauma those parts are locked in amber back to that part so you know it's not just the stress of first day of school it's then that all gets brought back out and then how can they truly move forward or are you just still caught in that first medical traumatized experience
2: mm-hmm yeah. And you had mentioned during our last podcast about how do you keep your child from disassociating during times of medical intervention, right? Mm-hmm. So at that point in time, that infant isn't going to, I don't know. I shouldn't say that. Can infants disassociate at that age? Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 They can. Like
1: I, I've done, I've done. Sorry, a dumb question, maybe, but. Well, yeah. then you know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm glad for you to say that because here we are. Um, you know, be- between us, we have like what fifty years of experience or something yeah. close. Yeah. Give um, our ages away. Come on. <laughs> and and yet, you know, there, there's aspects of the details that the minutiae, that maybe we don't know. But, Tran, it sounds like you you may yeah, have an answer.
0: Uh, because I actually did some reading, and this was from Ego State Therapy, and they actually talked about um, a young woman that had gone through medical trauma and they talked about the parts and the pieces at various ages where the baby was in distress and did start to disassociate so those did become exiles so yeah i mean because the thing is you have to look at the fact that the um the ventral nervous system like where we're Connecting is the newest one but it's the dorsal that is the oldest that of course is online initially so yeah disassociation would be the first thing that right, would right because it's part do. of
1: our uh, of our old part of our nervous system exactly yeah. exactly. exactly mm-hmm. mean our
2: reptile brain
1: mm-hmm. yeah the okay. reptile brain
0: <laughs> yes <laughs> the, <Yeah>. lizard. <laughs> the lizard brain yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah i'm either thinking of uh the character, well, um, the villain, the lizard from Spider-Man, or, of course, the lizard king himself, you know, Jim Morrison.
1: Oh. <laughs> 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 Very different references. Sorry, yeah. No,
0: that's just where my brain <laughs> goes, people. Yeah, mm-hmm. fair. And then you wonder, uh, what is my therapist actually thinking in the middle of the session?
1: <laughs> I'm thinking about Spider-Man, if you're wondering.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, I, yeah it's, uh, I I'm, I'm just thinking about, mm, you know. Can, can I slip in a reference here that will be meaningful? <laughs> <laughs>
2: we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, okay, thank you. Uh, yeah, <laughs> anyway, so, I digress.
0: <laughs> yeah, but that that is
1: important in recognizing that then this little baby actually can, that can be an in, more of an ingrained or learned process from mm-hmm. very young.
2: Mm-hmm. <coughs> Which then can bring in, like you were talking about, the remote uh, the challenges later on that then become... More intense and are not mm-hmm. understanding, but that goes back to the body holding on to what the cognitive memory doesn't.
1: Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You said that really, really well because we're so head first, so so much that we're we're talking about working through um, our thinking processes. In fact, it reminds me. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, I uh, I had an appointment in which I was sharing um, the effects of trauma. And as the as the person then started to understand, then they just and it was the first appointment. They just broke down, crying, emoting, 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 and it was it was able to just be with them to let them know this is a good thing. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay. What's happening is your cognition or your thinking part is catching up with what your body has been trying to say mm-hmm. for years and years, and, and your cognition hasn't understood. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it really comes to that, that, that healing process does involve our cognition, um, but it doesn't necessarily always start with our cognition. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah.
0: Sometimes we need to go bottom-up first before we go um, top-down.
1: Mm-hmm. 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 Now, fascinating, fascinating, yeah. Um, because it can come from either side, right? It Mm -hmm. could come from a thought. It could come from a gut feeling or changes in your heart in which your heart starts beating or sending signals that are, are, uh, not understood
0: by the cognition yeah Mm -hmm. and just to kind of circle back i mean and then you have a young infant that really doesn't have a lot of that understanding or that awareness oh it like that's why we say we raise children because we're raising them up it doesn't have that capacity so it's just going by instinct Mm -hmm. so then how do you then really go back to that two or you know to that one or two day old infant to kind of comforted because that's not something like where you can go and talk to that young child you almost have to um almost go back inside and almost create an area where you are the parent providing the comfort that that young self that you were (laughs) didn't get
1: yeah in fact those are almost my exact words um to this person was no one was with you in this before Mm -hmm. but don't worry this isn't going to last forever and i'm with you in it now
0: Mm -hmm. mm-hmm
2: mm-hmm and even looking at parents now, because I work with that population of, um, in, with the younger children, and every behavior is an expression of need. right? So what are they expressing that they're needing? But through those with some of those big extreme behaviors, especially in our medical kiddos, or even kiddos that can't communicate effectively, or don't know how to say I'm hurting, I'm struggling, help me. You know, it's trying to figure out where that piece, like you said, got detached or missed. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think medicine has really started to kind of take a look at that, too, because they do now incorporate that skin to skin contact. That's really important. Right. Even after those first days of coming out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I almost like as we've been talking, the one thing that really pops into my head is those babies from the Russian um, orphanage back in the day. I, and I can re- I can see you shaking your head because, um, yeah, like with some of those infants, for those of you that don't know, this was during the Soviet era, and it was basically a, a large group of infants that needed to be cared for. And what they did basically is they just, they warehoused them. So they wrapped them up tight. They gave, like they gave them what we all consider to be your core needs like where they gave, they fed them, they wrapped them up, they put them in a bassinet, but they didn't engage with them. And what they actually found is with these infants that brain development was lower, and even in some circumstances, um, certain sensory organs didn't develop to the same amount because you need that um, that skin-to-skin that engagement in order to stimulate these things so you can provide people with food, clothing and shelter but if you don't provide them with community and self-actualization and connection all of that doesn't matter because you've got the building blocks of a human but you don't have the human embodied.
1: Yeah, in fact, this uh, reminds me of something that I think maybe will nail home this point a little bit and 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 help us to transition our conversation a little bit. So Really what you're describing is we're, we are wired from the outside in. That internal self um, gets wired by our tribe, the people that we're connected to, mm-hmm. and also the physical environment. So an example of this is that if an infant is left in a, in a space, if they're in a spot where they are not exposed to light. And I'm sorry for forgetting the time frame. I'm not sure if it's a year, 18 months. Um, but then that infant will be blind for the rest of its life. The genetic code will not get... Um, opened, that develops sight.
2: The epigenetics.
1: So, uh, so, so this literally is that idea that our genes are a library, and that the the books get checked out by the environment. Um, now, interestingly enough, and where hope I think comes in this conversation, is that that time-sensitive position of development of vision is uh, the vast majority, almost almost all of our development is not. Time sensitive, so so that that window of of vision won't ever happen unless it happens at that time. Um, But for the rest of our development, it's not like that. We could have something interfere or get in the way in our first two or three days or first few months of life, and that doesn't mean that we're going to be stuck with this um, developmental injury that's going to last our whole life. No, Mm -hmm. that's not true. The plasticity of our nervous system, of our brain, and other organs that carry that within our, our nervous system is very significant and can develop across the lifespan.
0: Absolutely. And, um, you know, not to tell myself, but I think, um, like, yeah, if I, if that injury was still inside of me, I wouldn't be doing the job that I am today. I wouldn't be the person that I am today. It's been slow work over time, working with therapists, working with, like, really developing a relationship with my parents. And um, I'm wondering one day if we can even back and even talk about like life transition I think we've mentioned that before yes. like where you transition mm-hmm. from childhood to adulthood and really talking about that and my mother is not I mean she still carries her traumas with her but she's not traumatized all the time mm-hmm. but it's about recognizing when that does come up yeah mm-hmm.
1: for sure like I think you bring a, a really good point like in my outside view of you Trent as a person mm-hmm. um, you're well adjusted um, does it mean that there isn't still effects, in which there may be times in which the uh, a feeling may be bigger than what you would anticipate? Well, I imagine you still experience that at times. We even did a podcast that was about dealing with loss, right? And, oh, yeah. and what that what that means. And I'm sure that this this story that you're telling is relevant if listeners want to go back and listen to that dealing with loss, mm-hmm. which was about. Uh, um, a caregiver that had been connected for a very long time mm-hmm. that abruptly all of a sudden there was a breach in that relationship you can go this conversation is very relevant actually to those experience but oh. in your day-to-day life you don't sit there feeling abandoned all the time oh so, no
0: no yeah like and that's the thing is that, that that's why you know um like that's why we talk about exiles cuz exiles like they are they're not always there it just they come up in those moments in those environmental triggers and that's where it's about having that kindness that compassion and being able to take those moments if you can and integrate Mm
2: -hmm. yeah and integration is a big thing and taking those moments of compassion and kindness Mm -hmm. and I think it's also really important and hope Jeremy you you wanted to stress when we were brainstorming what's the hope because we can't go here and say
1: eh and you can get over it, right? Like, it's like, we're hey, really you know what? Here we are. We're telling you about these things. And basically, your kids are just screwed yeah. up and they're never going to be better. Yeah. You know, that's definitely not the no, message no, at all. No, no, not
0: at all. No, we, we have to greet them where they're at mm-hmm. and help them on the journey. Um, you know, and here again, too, uh, here's a Batman reference. Um, you know, why do we fall? So we can learn to pick ourselves back up. Mm-hmm. So, you know, your your child may have stumbled and, you know, you may have stumbled with them, but you can help yourself up and you can help that child to stand and grow mm-hmm. and, and learn from the stumble.
2: Yeah. And part of that is what we as therapists always talk about. I think I do. <laughs> <laughs> but. I can honestly say I'm pretty bad at doing it, walking my talk sometimes, but I'm getting better, is mm. that self-care. So those parents who are going through those experiences early after
1: birth with their children need to still care for themselves. Yeah, for sure. Like he, the, the old saying, you can't care for someone else mm-hmm. if your tank is empty. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't have any gas in the tank, then you can't bring a jerry can and fill someone else up because you don't got anything to give them.
0: Yep. or you know or even you can't if you're if your plane is crashing you know you have to put the oxygen mask on yourself first yeah, for sure yeah. yeah
1: yeah absolutely um and that notion that is like I, I don't want to tell a parent take care of so- yourself so that you can take care of someone else but i would say is take care of yourself because you're worth it mm-hmm. and uh, and if you do that it'll allow you to the ability to take some care of someone else but Mm -hmm. really do it for yourself don't do this for someone else Mm -hmm.
2: well Mm -hmm. if we're trying to do something for someone else it's not sustainable i've learned Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. but if you do do it for yourself it's it's beneficial in so many aspects sure so many ways and i think one of the other things that came from the last podcast my brother is a physiotherapist Mm -hmm. and he listened and he was like wow like so and he's very kind of Sorry, Joey, I'm going to throw you out there. He's kind of cynical sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, trauma, trauma, trauma. Mm, That's all I hear is trauma. But when we talked about the body holding on and the body remembering Mm -hmm. those things, I think it goes back to the importance of individuals in the medical field need to take just a little bit of time and do some of the historical information gathering when helping their patients, right? Like yeah. what is the history here that could be causing their lingering or holding on? It's maybe not that the person doesn't want to get better. It's just something that's stuck.
0: Yeah, and uh, I'm sorry. I'm You're not so I'm not, I'm not, not I'm not going to put your 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 brother on Oh, he's uh, on, he's awesome, you know, but you uh, can go uh, ahead uh, yeah, and cry him. But um, <laughs> the thing is is that um, I love physiotherapists. Um like They've helped. They've helped me out a lot. But there's been times when they will come, like where I've been assessed by physiotherapists, and they just come and I start like randomly manipulating my body and I'm like consciously, I know what they're doing, but it's like, that's where my startle reflex comes in and when, like, when you just start having people and they're like, wow, you've got a lot of spastic tone and it's like, um... Yeah, but at the same time too. Let me calm down. Let me get in my window of tolerance, and then you'll be able to see my full range. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just, oh. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. totally,
1: totally. That makes sense. Yeah.
0: And uh, and and for a second, um, Joe,
1: I felt like Gabor Mate was sitting next to me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yay! I take that as a compliment. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> because because uh, that that's one of the foundational things he says right is he says um the biggest mistake that that physicians are making is they're not asking people what happened in your life
2: mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. what happened to you yeah. i believe it's a book by oprah and bruce perry isn't it
0: um i think so yeah something akin to that yeah mm-hmm. that one i haven't checked out for some reason i have no idea why um any hoodles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of the three thousand books you've read. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I,
1: I know it's not actually three thousand, but.
0: No. I'm, well. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder. Two thousand and some. Yeah. No. <laughs> oh, there you go.
2: Because sometimes our bodies are going to um, relay or make us become aware of the things that we don't want to be through physical um, presence of change right so stressors can come across as heart attacks or angina or you know um
1: or actually can cause them eventually or can cause them yeah, yeah that's that's like if it sits in that yeah. distress too long yeah then um then you hear you hear doctors talking more about stress when there's already been an event mm-hmm. and they're like oh yeah your your heart's not working very well you need to really reduce your stress in your life um, yeah, that's a correct message, and you should have got that five, six, seven, eight years ago, and then you may not have actually had the heart attack.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know, like a okay. I I have to have. Have you heard of the breathwork sessions that we do here at uh, Synergy
1: Holotropic breathwork?
0: Oh, thank you. I can never. Um, so I I can never think about how to pronounce that. Thank you, Jeremy. And you know, I often wonder for myself um, because lungs were such a major issue and for a lot of people with disabilities like especially if you're born premature what would that be like and I'm almost thinking to myself hmm like would that trigger something for me in oh. terms of the trauma reaction interesting deep inside yeah mm-hmm. yeah
1: like as we talk about ways in which people then heal ways in which they develop um, part of that because the the initial injury for the child was interpersonal. I actually think the answer is also interpersonal in uh, in terms of how they begin to relate in, in in between them and their tribe and the world around them. Yeah. Um, but also, like you say, there's these physical aspects that may be left over for yourself having diminished lung capacity. And that's interesting. If you did a session of holotropic breath work, if maybe... Yeah, you might open some very deep things.
0: Yeah, what I almost think, because you do it as a group. Yeah, like what would that be like for to put my my lungs and my nervous system under that kind of stress, but then to do that with other people, would that almost be an attachment repair?
1: Maybe. So as we as we talk about this, giving a little bit of in, of information. So this is a method that is used for people to get into a trance-like state. Um, the background of it was when LSD and the other uh, psychedelics became illegal and all of the research stopped then people actually looked for another method to get into that same um, journey trance-like state so just context for our
0: listeners thank you Jeremy I appreciate the asterisks
2: I even wonder, though, if something like that, like we talk about prematurity and the lungs are the last to develop, mm-hmm. right? So we know that the lungs are, are an issue. But what about even individuals most recently who would have had COVID? Oh, Where the yeah. lungs would have been
1: damaged. Yeah, sure, sure. And Age. and that long COVID experience yeah. for some people yeah. that are uh, just kind of ongoing, yeah. diminished mm-hmm. ability to mm-hmm. breathe.
2: So when, like, because I'll have Clients sit in my office, and I'll say, "Well, let's do some, you know, some mindfulness and breathing." And they're like, "I don't want to breathe." Now I'm like, "Oh, let's the look way you back said that." The medical history here, uh, and I don't want to breathe. What's related? Yeah. What like I'm like, okay, what's the what's the relationship between the lungs and breathing?
1: Because the way you said it, I thought you were seeing a lot of smokers. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, no. Sorry. No, just, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Just, just, just the way you shifted your... I don't want to breathe. I
0: don't <laughs> breathe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. go,
1: no, okay. <laughs> yeah.
0: I don't know. Like all I can think of is like the Marlboro Man now. <laughs> uh, oh, and and you know, oh, uh, and here's the here's the hmm. interesting thing. I was working with a client the other day, and he's a smoker, and he talked about, um, basically like when you breathe in with cigarettes, how you hold that breath, and he's doing that now, and like he now that helps him understand box breathing. So instead of doing having a cigarette, he's just doing what he calls it, like his cigarette breathing to help calm him down. Yeah, that's, mm-hmm. I've heard
1: that before, too, that um. some people went, huh, actually, me stepping out to have a cigarette um, was a, I took a break. And I actually was breathing in a specific way and I could remove the cigarette and still do those things. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And as we kind of drift through some different kind of aspects of this, really recognizing the reason we're talking about this is because we're talking about ways in which people heal and uh, and and how it is that they begin to reset a place of security in themselves. Mm-hmm. That uh, whatever that was, it interrupted that. That could have been um, not even just someone being in an incubator. It could have been um, some other things that, that happened right at birth. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, But, of course, it could be other things that happen across the lifespan too. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, it doesn't matter if it happens at birth or when you're an adult you know, like, yeah, like, it's still a rupture, it's still a repair. It may yeah, just be sure. more ingrained when yes, you're younger. Yes,
1: exactly, because we don't necessarily have the cognitive memory associated with those very early years up until usually um, that memory formation is somewhere along the time where people form um, language, and then our memories change in terms of images and thoughts that are associated with them. Mm-hmm. And so if there's something that's pre-verbal, then there may be that deeper um, less tangible way to get at it mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah,
2: and that secure base, I think can can definitely be there over despite obstacles, right mm-hmm. but it's about. You know, being present, being in in a way of knowing how to be and provide that secure base. But like you said, you have to be the calm to somebody else's storm, Mm -hmm. right? And sometimes that's really hard to do if we're in a storm as well. Because what happens when two storms collide?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, And I've got a weird question. That was a
1: really great metaphor. Sorry, go ahead.
0: No, and I I didn't mean to cut you guys off. I just thought about... um, Persons with disabilities and children that what happens if they get adopted as children or as very young children because um and then how does that complicate things too as well with the attachment with um the um adopted
1: parent sure because they're no matter what you do not that um people can't be well adjusted um people adopted that's entirely true is it it's that no matter what you do, there is an attachment breach when an adoption occurs, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, really, what does that new formation look like? Um, and you bring about a good, good point for mm-hmm. someone, say, that was born uh, with additional medical struggles and the medicalization of those struggles, and then is adopted, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I was talking with one of our brilliant psychiatrists here in town, um, Dr. Becker. Uh, the other day about our podcast and what we we're talking about and the progression of where we're going with things, and she brought to light too. She says that you know if you look at the medical field, because I said you know healing hurts, healing hurts, whether it hurts emotionally, physically, healing hurts. Plain and simple.
1: Mm. Um, yeah, you can't heal if you don't feel exactly, mm-hmm.
2: exactly. And she was like, oh yeah. And she's like, and I, she she uses the term burden of health mm. because with health, there's burdens. And emotional and feeling and uh, physical pain, I think would be connected to that, but it's also about the access the to health and to getting healthy and to getting those helps, right? Like the burden regarding financially, um, location, all of those other things that come into play there. And it's like, how do how does this all impact all of these things that we're talking about mm-hmm. whether you're adult child but with individuals with disabilities that burden of health becomes bigger sure
0: mm-hmm. sure yeah or, or sometimes like it, it can almost become like our primary job yep. and yeah and you know and like yeah like, i think uh, you and i have talked about the fact that you know i i'm not just in private practice but I also run, like you know, I also run my own caregivers and people will say to me, Oh well, you're so well managed or how oh, you take such good care of yourself and the thing is is that um as a child, um you know, like my mother had to manage all of these things and now as an adult, it's like if I want to, you know, get a shower, get my nails cut, do all of those different things, it's about interfacing with people. And so that in itself takes a level of responsibility and sometimes too you'll find with some people with disabilities or at least i have where they just they just want to live their lives so they'll let certain things slip and you can even say to yourself well why aren't they doing this why aren't they doing that but at the same time too that's you know it's a choice to engage and also it's a choice not to engage and you need to honor that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so um, i i i feel like our our uh our our conversation is kind of coming to a a natural place of of winding up and i'm i'm just i'm really interested about you know what as as participants in the podcast about what has you know resonated with us um and uh and i guess guess i'll start one of the biggest things that jumped out to me as we went through this conversation was really the position for parents to be able to, one, understand that in order for their child to be able to be settled, that uh, an unsettled nervous system isn't going to be able to settle a child. So hopefully being able to hear some of the things that we have to say and come to an understanding about one of the reasons why their children would be having some of the struggles they have allows them to let go of any self-blame or things that they feel like Mm -hmm. they're not doing right. And be able to, um, as was mentioned, Joe, to be able to take that time to care for themselves, And then they can bring that regulated nervous system in to work with that child. And the likelihood that the child is going to heal and that those struggles will not will, will diminish greatly is high. Mm-hmm. And that child will then get what it needs to develop and no parent will be perfect in that. So, yeah, yeah. that's my takeaway.
0: Yeah, I love that summary. Yeah, I, I think you've hit on a lot of the ma- major points. Um, I really appreciated going through all of this with, with the both of you. I think that this was a very productive um, conversation. I, re- I wrote down here, and I think for me, that this kind of encapsulates my um, takeaway from this, where you said healing hurts. And I think that that's something that, um, you know, people with disabilities, all people need to recognize that you need to go through the pain uh, you know, and have those people around you. That the pain is temporary, like you said, Jared, and that we can we can move through it together, but there there is there is hope at the end if if you're willing to engage.
2: hmm And I think for me the takeaway is that community is still so important and still so vital for not only infants, parents, but As we move more through globalization and travel and bigger things, we still need that connection with others and extended family members. Like Things are so important and relationships are so important and vital to be able to provide ourselves the ability to feel Mm -hmm. and to have time to calm our storms, to be able to help others weather theirs. So it's about... Reaching out, reaching out, saying, I think there's more strength in saying, I need help than there is than persevering
1: mm. on your own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Both are important to be able to have inner strength, but also have the strength enough to ask for help. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. It's about finding that balance. Mm hmm. And um, I hope that this podcast today for our listeners has not only given um, them some insight, but maybe this will help you on your path to balance whatever that may be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So thanks again, Jolene, for um, joining us.
0: Thanks for having me back. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: And on (laughs) that note, I'm Jeremy Alcorn.
0: I'm Trent Nakers. See you next time.
1: Thank you for joining us today. We hope that this message has been as meaningful to you as it has been to us. If you're looking for help, you can find us on Facebook at Humanizing Mental Health.